invite you back again to 1 Kings chapter 10, the first 13 verses, continuing our subject series, Solomon and the Queen. So let's read the text and we'll begin again. And the queen, when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices, with very much gold, precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom in the house that he had built, and the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel, and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me, Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king an hundred and twenty talents of gold and of spices very great store and precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And the navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir brought in from Ophir great plenty of almug trees and precious stones. And the king made of the almug trees pillars for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, harps also and psalteries for singers. There came no such almug trees nor were seen unto this day. And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire whatsoever she asked beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. As stated before, we briefly state again, we're looking at Solomon and the queen and this relationship in these 11 verses out of the 13 that we read. And to us as believers, we see something greater than just an Old Testament recorded portion of history, but we see in a similitude our Lord Jesus Christ and all sinners who come unto Him. So that is our objective. Right now we're looking at Solomon in the similitude of Christ. And remember when I say similitude, as I told you before, I want you to think in the definition of the word comparative resemblance. We're looking at the comparative resemblances of Solomon toward Christ that are greater fulfilled in Christ. The key text for that, Matthew 12, 42, a greater than Solomon is here. Christ himself making a comparative resemblance or similitude in that regard. After we finish with Solomon, of course, we'll look at this text which can, tells us mostly about the Queen of Sheba and her relationship to Solomon and that interchange. So continuing from last week, Solomon sat on David's throne, his father's throne, and we looked at how one day Christ in his millennial kingdom will also, as prophesied, sit on David's throne. 
The next thing we want to look at, and it's actually in relationship to that fact, is that this throne was Solomon's from the Lord. He received it from his earthly father, but it actually was decreed and appointed and prophesied of the Lord. So turn back a few pages in 1 Kings to chapter 2 and verse 15 where we have a statement made actually by Solomon's brother, but it is a true statement. He was a conniver and a deceiver, and we'll learn more about him in just a moment, but it nevertheless was a true statement. Here he says, and he said, and that's Adoniah that says this, Thou knowest that the kingdom was mine, and that all Israel set their faces on me, that I should reign. Howbeit the kingdom is turned about and is become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Now, we'll make some comments again in a moment. Adoniah here is saying this to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. And he is, however, making a true statement. There were people trying to follow him, make him king. He sought to take it literally to usurp the kingdom from Solomon but it was taken from him and not allowed to happen. And he now says it was from the Lord. And so indeed it was. Likewise, when we consider that prophecy again of the Lord Jesus Christ, the throne that he will one day set upon is not just something he will set upon as a descendant of King David or of the seed of David, but literally given to him of his father, both by prophecy, Old Testament, and New. Luke again, chapter 1, verse 32. The statement here is... Let me get back there. Luke 1, in verse 32. The angel Gabriel to Mary says, He shall be great, he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God, which would be his father shall give unto him the throne of his father David. So again, it's one thing for kings to pass on the kingship and the kingdom to their descendants, be they either son or daughter. We see that in the Old Testament, always sons in the monarchies of England and others. There have been queens. These things were passed on in an earthly sense. But when it is given of God, of course, nothing can be thwarted or changed concerning those prophecies and that decree. Another statement we might throw in here very quickly would be again Psalms chapter 2 and verse 6, that prophecy being, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill in Zion. God the Father decreeing that, and that will come, come to pass when Christ in the millennial kingdom upon this earth rules and reigns from Jerusalem, David's throne, place of occupancy, ancestrally, years ago, Christ will rule and reign from that very place. Now another thing we would add in here is the statement of referring to what the Lord said about a greater than Solomon's here, and that is that while Solomon's name was great, and he was a great name, and his throne and his kingdom was great, Jesus's will be even greater than that. Looking back to 1 Kings chapter 1 again, verse 37, we see this statement is made concerning Solomon and his kingdom. 
As the Lord hath been with my Lord the King, even so he be with Solomon, and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. One of the servants, David, making that statement there. Then we look down also to verse 45 in the same chapter. And we read, And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king in Gion, and they are come up from thence rejoicing, so that the city rang again. This is the noise that ye have heard. And also Solomon sitteth on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover the king's servants came to bless our Lord King David, saying, God make the name of Solomon better than thy name, and make his throne greater than thy throne. And the king bowed himself upon the bed. That being reiterated to David. So as David's throne was superseded by his son who would be greater, and the kingdom would be greater under him than it was under David, so just as Christ said that uh, a greater than Solomon is here, and the prophecies are that one day Christ's kingdom will supersede the kingdom of Solomon in a literal fashion. Literal fashion. Again, that millennial kingdom. Let's go to some prophecy in the book of Daniel that speaks of that future time. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. And just a little bit of setting here. You might remember uh, it's been a long time that we've dealt with this Daniel 7 here in another message or study. But in Daniel 7, Daniel sees here and is revealed unto him the four great earthly kingdoms. That one of the Babylonian and the Medes and the Persian, the Grecian, and then the Roman. And included in this is the statement and prophecies that one day the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ will supersede all these earthly kingdoms. And of course, only one of these kingdoms was in existence when this prophecy was given to Daniel, and that was the Babylonian kingdom. But guess what? They all came about exactly as this prophecy. Three other kingdoms, the Medes, Persians, the Grecian under Alexander the Great, and then the Roman Empire. So in verse 9 here of Daniel 7 we read, And I beheld till the thrones were cast down. And the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Down to verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. And right there tells you of the most, one of the most superior characteristics of the kingdom of Christ, and that is David's kingdom came to an end. Solomon's kingdom came to an end. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom came to an end. The Medo-Persian came to an end. Alexander's came to an end. The Roman came to an end. And so shall all kingdoms. Earthly kingdoms eventually come to an end. But the kingdom that will supersede them all We'll have the King of Kings and Lord of Lords setting over it. And as we've said here, this kingdom will have no end. It will be forever and ever. So even 
There's so many ways it supersedes Solomon's kingdom. But in length, in duration, in perpetuity, certainly, it is greater than Solomon's kingdom. And of course, again, a list of things could be given of the superiority of the millennial kingdom of Christ and then the kingdom of new heavens and new earth that will reign forever and ever throughout all eternity. Superior Solomon. But look, look down a little bit further. Verse 22. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. And verse 27, And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. So again, Solomon's name and kingdom and throne was greater than David's and we can't even begin to compare the kingdom of Christ and the saints of God to that of Solomon. But that's what we should be seeing and thinking of when we read and look at this kingdom of Solomon that the queen of Sheba was so taken back by. Now we want to back up just a little bit in reflecting upon Solomon's kingdom and the coming kingdom of Christ, literally upon this earth in the millennial reign. And that is that previous to Solomon actually being anointed king and becoming king and taking David's throne, there was this individual we mentioned a moment ago in chapter 2 and verse 15, Adoniah, who was Solomon's brother. They did not share the same mother, Bathsheba was Solomon's mother, and Haggath, I believe, was Adoniah's mother. But before Solomon became king, look at that scripture with me again in 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 15, where he said there, uh, one more page. Thou knowest the kingdom was mine, and that all Israel set their faces on me, and I should reign, howbeit the kingdom is turned about, and is become my brothers. So this individual was literally involved in a conspiracy to try to usurp the throne from Solomon, knowing that it was ordained and decreed by his father that Solomon should be king. So this is an open rebellion, a usurping in that regard, to take that which does not belong to him. Now, this conspiracy is set out in the first chapter of Kings and verse 5. And here is his name, Adoniah. Uh, again, the J is not pronounced kind of like we pronounce it. So Adoniah, I think, is the correct pronunciation. He was son of Haggath, one of David's several wives, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? And he also was a very goodly man, and his mother bare him after Absalom. But Haggath was not Absalom's mother. Okay, Even though it's mentioned there that he, he was born after Absalom, it didn't mean they had the same mother. Uh, 
Absalom's mother started with an M, M A C C A H A or something, something different. And he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruah, and with Abathar the priest, and they followed Adoniah, helped him. But Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shimei, and Rei, and the mighty men which belonged to David were not with Adoniah. And Adoniah slew sheep and oxen and fat cattle by the store stone of Zohelath, which is by Enrogel, and called all his brethren and the king's son and all the men of Judah the king's servants. So here is the usurping of seeking to make himself king and take over the kingdom, even though he knew it was supposed to be his brothers, Solomon's. And the proof of that is the scripture we read in chapter 2 and verse 15. It was of the Lord. Well, if he knew that, why did he do this? You see, but again, he was seeking it. Uh, one thing I... Let me digress here just for a moment. And uh, we're going to lay a little fault on David here because in verse 6, even though this is Adonai's fault for doing this, here's uh, something we can take a lesson from. Verse 6 says, His father had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? And he also was a goodly man and his mother bearing him. A comparison's being made there. And this is sad. This goes against David. David never told this boy no. That's what that means. He never checked him. He never rebuked him. He obviously spoiled him, kind of like Eli did his sons, is one of the comparisons some of the commentators make here. He never, never questioned, just let him go. Well, that can contribute to this type of activity in that respect. He was also a goodly man. That means he was like Absalom, uh, handsome, popular, you know, had an appeal to the people in that regard. So just as Absalom rebelled, so here we got another spoiled son rebelling. Spoiled children are <laughs> many times just that, rebels, aren't they? Spoiled children. So we just include that. Well, it didn't work out like he planned, obviously. I'm going to be brief here without reading all of chapter 1, but if you read it, you'll find out uh, when this all happens, these other individuals that didn't go with him, you know, they consult and say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Nathan the prophet gets Bathsheba, and they all get together, and Bathsheba goes in unto the king and brings it to King David's attention. He's dying. That, hey, uh, you know, uh, Solomon's supposed to be the king, right? Yeah, uh-huh, okay. Nathan comes in and says, well, Adonai is out here. He claims he's going to be king. So they got literally a decree from David on his deathbed where David emphatically states, no, that's not my will. That's not what's supposed to happen. Solomon is supposed to be, you know, Solomon's my anointed. Solomon is the prophesied, not Adonai. So it's kind of like... As the old saying goes, they get it down in writing, you know, right straight from the king's mouth, and this puts an end to the rebellion or usurping of Adonai. Let's pick up the story in verse 38 of the first chapter, shall we? Without reading all that, then again, I just jumped to here. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, Benani the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and caused Solomon to ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gion. 
And Zadok the priest took an horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. They blew the trumpet. All the people said, God save King Solomon. All the people came up after him. The people piped with pipes, rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth was rent with the sound of them. And rather than keep reading this, uh, in verse 42, we see here that Adoniah, Adoniah says unto uh, Abathar the priest, You come in for thou art my bringest thou good tidings. And Jonathan answered, or rather Jonathan here, the son of Abathar the priest, I'm sorry. Jonathan answered and says to Adonai, Verily our Lord King David hath made Solomon king. And so here he's literally undermined here and kicked out of what he thought he was going to do because Solomon has been anointed. And uh, then let's go on down and let's pick this up for time's sake. Um... Uh, in verse 49, all the guests that were with Adonai were afraid and rose up and went every man to his house. So this little usurping fell apart real quickly. Now they're all afraid that they're all going to get killed for being a part of this. Adonai feared because of Solomon, arose and went and caught hold of the horns of the altar. It was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonai feareth King Solomon, lo, he hath caught hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swearing to me today that he will not slay a servant with a sword. Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, there shall no hair of him fall to the earth. But if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. He came and bowed himself to King Solomon, and Solomon said unto him, Go to thine own house. Okay, so it was an attempt to usurp, to take the throne, take the power, take the authority of the one God had decreed would be the king and rule over the kingdom, and it failed in that regard. Well, likewise, what does the Bible tell us about the coming kingdom of Christ in his millennial reign? The Bible tells us that before Christ actually comes and does literally rule and reign, as the prophecies say, there's going to be a usurper that's going to come first and try to be that Christ, isn't it? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we call him the Antichrist, do we not? Because that's exactly what he is. He is against Christ, just like Adoniah was against Solomon and David, his father, and that kingdom that was set up already. He tried to usurp it. And so the Antichrist will do exactly the same thing. We could not go through this study without pointing this out. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, nor be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you for it by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. What do we see over there with Adonai? Some fell away, didn't they? And resorted to Ananiah, joined with him to usurp that which was his. Man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. This is Antichrist. Who what? Opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God setteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is what he's going to do. 
And this is going to happen in the seven-year tribulation period. Before Christ comes and rules and reigns in the millennial kingdom that will follow. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. And now ye know that where he... Ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now lenteth will lend until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should be a lie, believe a lie, that they, shall, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, just a brief reminder, if you'll turn over to Revelation 13, I'll just remind you, quickly without doing a bunch of reading about this individual appearing. Chapter 13 speaks explicitly of this same individual, the Antichrist. Verse 1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth is the mouth of a lion. And a dragon gave him his power, his seat, and great authority. I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast who is like unto the beast. And who is able to make war with him. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and to them that dwell in heaven. And other things go on to speak there. We might mention also that there's going to be a false prophet that's going to assist him. Another beast here, remember? Well, who did Adonai go run to? You know, he got the, he got the priest. You know, somebody that would be of a religious manner to help back him up in his usurping. So just the way Adonai tried to usurp Solomon's son, the Antichrist is going to try to be Christ and sit on David's throne and try to rule the world according to the prophecies that are reserved only to Christ himself. So again, a conspiracy to usurp that which is done. And you read there with me, the deceivableness of unrighteousness, the way he will go about this to deceive and contrive and conspire, and God will send people a delusion, just like those who followed Adonai in that respect. Well, it didn't work out, did it? So well with Adonai... And likewise, the Bible makes it very clear it's not going to work out with the Antichrist also. We saw there, as we read of Adonai, it seemed like he got off the hook, didn't it? I mean, Solomon told him, you know, if he proves to be a righteous man, we'll spare him. If not, you know, then his blood will be upon his own head. So he told him, go to your own house. Well, that wasn't enough for him. He was not satisfied with that. He actually then, going back, let's, let's make another point here on him, go back to Kings again, in the second chapter, 
First Kings, the second chapter. If he'd have went to his house and just lived out his life, everything probably went all right with him. But he wasn't satisfied. We might say maybe he still had a burr under his saddle, so to speak. But in the first few verses of First Kings, chapter one, we read about David growing old, and they get a young virgin to minister unto him. Okay. And just let me say to you, in all of that reading there, this does not mean that David laid with that young virgin sexually, okay? But she ministered to him. She, she kept him warm. He was cold. He got no heat and, and things like that, okay? But it was not a sexual relationship. However, her name was, if you read that there, Abishag, a Shumanite, in verse 3 of chapter 1. Well, Adoniah, now that he can't be king, decides he wants this young maiden for his wife. And he involves another conspiracy in that he gets Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, to go in unto King Solomon to ask for this maiden, this virgin, to be his wife. Bad mistake. But again, bad judgment, you know. A pride, call it pride, call it greed, call it lust, call it whatever. But this is a characteristic of that which is evil. And again, it will be manifested itself in the Antichrist. So he's, what is he wanting here? Well, a marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant relationship. And that's my point here in making this. Let's go to uh, chapter 2 and verse 13 of Kings. And here's where he does this. And bear with me, I'm making a point here that I believe is certainly true and we'll see in the Antichrist in a covenant that he will try to make. Here, Adonai, the son of Haggath, cometh to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So this is not his birth mother, this is Solomon's mother. Alright? I mean, again, consider the mother-child relationship between Bathsheba and Solomon. She said, Comest thou peaceably? He said, Peaceably. He said, Moreover, I have somewhat to say to thee. She said, Say on. And here's where we read this statement we read a while ago in verse 15. You know that the kingdom was mine. All Israel set their face on me. I should reign. How be it the kingdom was turned about and become my brothers? It was his from the Lord. Okay, so there's his whining complaint and yet admission that he knew better and shouldn't have done it in the first place. And now I ask one petition of thee, deny me not. She said unto him, say on. So he's kind of playing a sympathy card here, seems like, with Bathsheba, who's not his real mother, but Solomon's mother. Speak, I pray thee, unto Solomon the king, for he will not say thee nay. Okay, got that? that that's conspiring. That's deceitful. If he had went and said it, Solomon said, no, get out. Probably, you know. But here he's conspiring with the mother of Solomon, thinking that she will have the power of persuasion that Solomon would not say no unto her. That he give me Abshag, the Shunammite, to wife. Bathsheba said, well, I will speak unto the king for thee. All right. So, uh, let's see if I can kind of shorten some of this up. Uh, Bathsheba went unto Solomon. And she sat on his right hand. She had a place there, verse 19. And verse 20, she says, I desire one small petition of thee. I pray thee, say me not nay. And the kings asked her, Ask, O my mother, for I will not say thee nay. She said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adoniah, thy brother to wife. Okay, drop the bomb. How's Solomon going to react to this? How wise was he right here already? King Solomon answered and said unto the mother, Why dost thou ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonai? 
Ask for him the kingdom also. For he is mine elder brother, even for him and for Abathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zeruiah. These are the ones that accompanied Adoniah and rebelled against Solomon, okay? Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God do me so and more also, if Adoniah have not spoken this word against his own life. Okay? Now therefore as the Lord liveth which established me and set me on the throne of David my father who hath made me in house so he promised Adonai shall be put to death this day. Okay. What's he doing here? Trying to conspire through somebody Solomon's own mother to get this virgin to get this maiden to be his wife. That is a low-down, low-handed, under-the-table trick and deception, is it not? I mean, I mean, this is this is conniving of the worst degree, and it shows the character of this individual to be that brash. He ought to be thanking God he's still breathing for trying to usurp the kingdom, but he takes it a step further. Well, my point in all of this is this is exactly what the Antichrist is going to do in order to try to get the kingdom and the king, uh, the, the seat, David's throne from Christ. What's he going to do? He's going to make a covenant with whom? Israel, the chosen nation of the Most High God. He's going to make a covenant with Israel deceive them and of course remember who is Israel Israel is depicted many times as the bride the betrothed the engaged and the wife of God right so again he's using the same means trying to go through the most intimate channels in order to secure his own place let's read about that just just briefly a little bit Daniel again chapter 9 Daniel in the ninth chapter is speaking about these things that will transpire in the tribulation and thereafter. And in the ninth chapter, verse 26 and 27, dealing with the 70 weeks, it says, After threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come, not Christ the prince, but the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood and then the end of the war desolations are determined. And here it is. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week and in the midst of the week shall he cause the sacrifice, the oblation to cease and for the overspreading of abomination he shall make it desolate even of the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Okay, so a covenant with Israel in order to unite everybody under himself so that he can occupy the place in Jerusalem as he's God, sitting on the throne of David, pretending to be God, and having the kingdom that doesn't rightfully belong to him. So again, the same connivings that the devil used in Adoniah, he's going to use through the Antichrist and the false prophet to do the same thing, to try to rule and reign in a king, as a king, through a king, with a king, that which is not his. This has been the devil's role from the very beginning in the book of Genesis. And he's not going to quit until he attempts it through the Antichrist. But again, just as Adonias didn't work, so is this one not going to work. Turn with me to Revelation again, the 11th chapter in verse 2. 
And it speaks here, and without going into a lot of detail, just notice the time frame. The court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. And we've already read that the Antichrist will break the covenant of Israel in the middle of the seven years, three and a half years, and the city will be trodden under the foot of the Gentiles, and the Antichrist will sit there and utter blasphemies and rule and reign for a very brief and short period of time. However, he will be deposed, of course, and he will be destroyed and killed exactly as Adoniah was. Let me read that to you. In fact, let me just run back there and read that to you in the in the second chapter there of First Kings. Uh, page over. The end of Adoniah is one of the servants of the Lord slew him. Chapter two and verse forty-six. The king commanded Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, which went out and fell upon him, and he died. And the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So Adonai is done away with, and the kingdom falls where it should be, in the hands of Solomon. What's going to happen to the Antichrist? Well, it doesn't go well for him either, because the devil's behind them both. He's going to be deposed. How do we see this unravel? In Revelation chapter 19, beginning at verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he did judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed upon him in white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. With it he should smite the nations, and he should rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his name, thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies. So this is the Antichrist and those that supported him, just like Adonai and those who supported him. And Joab and some of the others are going to have faithful ends also in the Old Testament. To make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped the image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. What was the word over there in 1 Kings 2? Fall upon him and slay him. Where did those words come from? From the mouth of Solomon the king. Here, the mouth, from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all who support them in this usurping of trying to take the kingdom of Christ will be destroyed by the word of his mouth. These things aren't accidents, folks. Do you see the similitude in the comparative resemblance in this. So just as 
Solomon destroyed the usurper and his rifle, so these are destroyed here. Let me give you another scripture too. Psalms 110 and verse 1, a very familiar one, a prophecy concerning Christ. The Lord said unto my Lord, Set thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And that's exactly what happened, wasn't it? When Christ destroys the Antichrist and all of those mentioned there, they all become his what? Footstool. He puts them under foot, so to speak. And then finally we see there in chapter 4, or chapter 20 of Revelation in verse 4, I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given to them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark on their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. A thousand years. All right, so we have that little usurping there before Solomon. Obviously, we see this with the Antichrist before Christ will rule and reign in his literal king. Let's try to make one more point here. It's a brief one. shouldn't take very long. And we'll wrap it up for this morning. The next thing we see in our similitude or comparative resemblance, it's said of Solomon in chapter 3 and verse 2 and 3 of 1 Kings. We read these words. Read them with me. 1 Kings 3 verse 2. The people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and burned incense in high places. A lot of times when you read that phrase in the Old Testament, that means they were idolaters. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that here, because look at verse 4, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Okay? So it's always been characteristic to do it on a high place or a mountain or somewhere in that regard. But a lot of that's associated with idolatry. But again, no temple at this time, at this place, okay? So this is where the sacrifices are being offered to the Lord. The key point there is, verse 3, Solomon not only loved the Lord, but walked in the statutes of David his father, which would have been the statutes of the Lord, and sacrificed unto the Lord. Okay? Well, we know that's true of Solomon. It's true in a greater way of the Lord Jesus Christ. We go to the New Testament. Throw these scriptures in and then we'll call it quits. Luke chapter 2, again. And without reading this all, let me just point to some things. Verse 42 says, When he was 12 years old, Jesus and his mother and his father family went up to Jerusalem as was the custom. You might remember that he stayed, they left, they couldn't find him, they came back. In verse 47, uh, in verse 46, they found him sitting in the midst of the doctors, hearing and asking questions. Everybody heard him, verse 47, were astonished his understanding and his answers. And in verse 48, uh, they asked him, his mother, particularly questioned him about why have you uh, stayed here, I've sought thee sorrowing. Verse 49, his reply is, How is it that you sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And this is implying right here from the get-and-go that, again, he was walking in the statutes and walking after God before he was walking after his own parents in that regard. 
And many believe uh, it's debatable about when Jesus actually knew in the human sense that He was the Messiah and these prophecies applied to Him. Possibly this right here, we don't know. We don't know. That question's up for grabs. But the bottom line is this is exactly what Christ did was He walked according to the will of His Father. He did it impeccably and He did it perfectly in that regard. Uh, Verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. He can only increase in favor with God by walking obediently in the ways of God. That's the only way anybody pleases God. So just as Solomon loved God and walked in the statutes of David, meaning walking in the statutes of his father, God, so Christ was walking in the ways obediently of God the Father. Let me give you a scripture in John 5.30. I think this makes this abundantly clear. John 5.30, Christ says, I can of mine own self do nothing as I hear. I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. So again, the Lord, nobody loved God like the Lord Jesus Christ, being the only begotten Son. Nobody was more faithful. Nobody was more obedient. Nobody was more submissive to the will of God than Christ was. It's said, you know, of course, the story, you know, the statement, David was a man after God's own heart. Solomon followed in those footsteps. But also, you know, at the end of Solomon's life, Solomon made a grave error. He loved many women, which took him away from walking in the Lord. Christ made no such error. Christ was impeccable. He did not sin. He could not sin. He did all things perfectly to the very end. Therefore, He could say, I have finished the work that Thou givest me to do. It is finished. He gave up His Spirit, committed it unto the hands of the Father, was received to the right hand of the Father after His resurrection, showing again He did all things well. So marvelous similitude there also that as Solomon loved the Lord and was obedient, Christ loved the Lord more, His Father, and was even more obedient than any earthly human could ever be. We'll pause there and pick up next time.